episode 11 of right we're sitting now we said out there radio <laughs> and uh, joining me today as my uh, guest host is raymond wiley thanks, thanks for doing this again raymond hey ken i don't worry about that uh when i was when i was a young man back when i used to be in garage bands and i got to play my first party gig with the garage band when i introduced the band i said the wrong name i said the name of <laughs> I said the name of the good band that was at my high school, the popular one, and not my own. And uh, partially because we had taken the drummer from them. Um, but so don't worry. It happens, it happens to us all. It's a Freudian slip. And, and I, take it, I take it as a great compliment. Ah, there we go. Then. But have we got a show for the people today, though? We've got a bit of a treat for them today. Who have we got, Raymond? We've got John Ronson. Better, and he is, let me tell you, better than probably any guest that I ever had on my show. Uh, Ken, so you're you're uh, you're in the butter zone today, my friend. <laughs> John Ronson, yes, uh, well-known Channel Four filmmaker, correct? Ken, I don't I don't know your channels, but uh, I've heard it's Channel Four, yeah. and also author of the books uh, Them, Ex- Adventures with Extremists, and Men Who Stare at Goats, and we're going to talk about all that kind of stuff today. Yeah, but you got some announcements for us, don't you, Ken? Uh just some basic ones really we've got the forum up and people still aren't bloody signing up but they might have done by the time they hear this <laughs> so we're trying to get people to come on the forum and talk because uh, we like to know what our listeners think and stuff we, they just seem to like emailing me rather than uh than actually writing on the forum but they can always email me at ken at sittingnow.co.uk claire's been giving us loads of stuff to uh put up on the site which is great and she's going to be joining us as of the next episode episode 12 doing a weekly kind of news segment on alternative culture and weird stuff that's gonna be really cool um and yeah so that's about it really uh, any more uh, thoughts before we cut to the interview raymond uh i just yeah, if, if you guys aren't familiar with john ronson or his work um you can check it out on the internet on youtube video google but as far as i'm concerned you know having studied conspiracy theories for the past two or three years when when Mr. Ronson tells a story in one of his documentaries about a conspiracy theorist or an event that happened, that's really going to almost always be the best treatment that you will find on that topic, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. And he does something that most podcasters won't do, and we'll talk about this a lot tonight, is that he takes a step back and doesn't present conspiracy theories. He looks at conspiracy theorists and the strange subculture and world that they live in. Yeah. And, a fresh uh, take good on stuff. that sort of thing. When did you first encounter his work, Ken? Um, gosh. Actually, I saw a documentary by accident. I saw the second episode of Men Who Stare at Goats, I think it was. The one, it's a second or third one, I can't remember which one it was. The one where they they go and talk to that crazy guy in his garden do you know the one i mean um he's like a cia ex-cia guy and he's uh he's called jim i think and he, he's just right. kinda, yeah do you know the guy i mean i know who you're talking about yes yeah um and i remember seeing that i think it was really funny but then i missed the other episodes and then again recently i heard about him for a friend of mine who got them and i read them and i was like, hooked on ronson <laughs> well um and you know it's great because he tells a lot of very um American stories follows a lot of American figures and what and I like that because he's and not not just because he's British but also because I think of the tone of his voice he gets this sort of like um, impartial outsider vibe off of him yeah. in his document 
because he's he's the narrator, you know, and uh, that I've really liked about his his stuff as well. That he's willing to um, try to stay impartial for the most part. Although we will we will get to a funny incident uh, later on in the conversation with David Shaler that I'm sure um, the audience will find amusing. Yeah, uh, we'll probably have to play some clips, I think, as well. So yeah, I think this is going to be uh, probably. Well, best show, or if not, like one of the best shows we've ever done. So, uh, well, one thing that happened whilst we were recording the interview uh, with uh, John is that everything we just had. I think the New World Order are out to get us, basically, Raymond. <laughs> they, they did not want us talking about these subjects. <laughs> and, uh, Certainly have... not with a level head. They don't like that. So. No, no. It's just like when uh, the conspiracy tried to stop me talking to Ivan Stang. They're now trying to stop stop me trying to talk to John Ronson. But yeah, you'll notice a bit of an audio shift probably about six or seven minutes into the interview and that's because we had to make some technical adjustments. And uh, But yeah, they, it, sh- it shouldn't be too noticeable and it shouldn't impair your enjoyment of the interview, I don't think. So uh, it should be... Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, it'll be good. Oh, and we should also intru- in- introduce before we start uh, Wolfie ah, uh, Johnson, yeah. which <laughs> who makes many an appearance in the interview. Uh, you would think to our chagrin, but actually it was very funny. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, okay. So uh, let's roll to that clip right now. John, for the listeners that haven't heard of you, could you give us like a kind of brief biography of yourself? Um, all right. Uh, well, I'm a writer and documentary filmmaker, and I've been doing it for about ooh, 20 years. Um, and uh, and I write about I suppose I write about kind of craziness and irrationality and sometimes and I and I try and write sort of funnily and have funny adventures in irrational and crazy worlds and sometimes there the world are uh, the world's are political extremists and conspiracy theorists and sometimes the world are uh, the kind of heart of power so for instance I snuck into Bohemian Grove with uh, Alex Jones. I'm presuming that your listeners are sort of Bohemian Grove and Alex Jones literate. Um, <laughs> maybe they're not. I don't know. And then and and I wrote a book called Them about all of that stuff. And made a series called called uh, The Secret Rulers of the World. And then I wrote another book after about um, military nuttiness called The Men Who Stare at Goats. Uh, and then I also have been writing the. Uh, this isn't brief, right? Do, do you want me to just stop the sentence? No, 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 no. Oh no, no. This is perfect. Okay. Okay, um, well, then I, I, I started, started to realize that, you know, it's all well and good for me to write about other people's craziness, so I have to start writing about my own. So I started writing a, a column in, in the Guardian newspaper about my own domestic craziness, which has been collected into, uh, into two books. So let's go to that, that four books and about, about 25 documentaries now. All right. Well, I think the ones that me and Raymond want to talk to you about today are the are them. Well, not the actual documentaries, but the, you know, the uh, men that like to stare at goats and them, the books and the uh, subsequent documentaries. What gave you the sure, I- what gave you the idea to to start following conspiracy theorists around? Well, I mean, it, it was sort of in a roundabout way. I got a call. This is going back a long time. It's going back about twelve years, and uh, I, I was writing about sort of gentle eccentrics in, in, in England, just sort of writing nice, sweet, sort of funny, humane pieces about people who wanted to kind of live outside society in a sort of gentle way. And I guess I kind of identified with them a bit. Um, and then one day I got a call from a commissioning editor at Channel 4 who said that this uh, guy who lived up the road from me called Obabaki Mohammed uh, had just declared holy war on Britain. This was in about 1996. And, you know, he, he said he was going to um, see the black flag of Islam fly over Downing Street by the year 2000, and maybe I should uh, follow him around. And I and I really like that because I, I really like the idea of like sort of portraying this this militant Islamist in a sort of gentle way, like I like in a sort of funny gentle way, like I had done with the with the eccentrics. And um, and so I spent a year following this guy around over Bakri, and it was his people who started seeming conspiratorial. They were saying, you know, did you know that? There, were, there was a shadowy cabal secretly ruling the world, and uh, you know they're called the Bilderberg Group, and they they start the wars, and so they they were telling me all these kind of conspiratorial thoughts. Um, and then later on, I was with this um, I was with the Ku Klux Klan in 
in Arkansas, this politically correct faction of the Ku Klux Klan, um, whose, whose leader had sort of banned um, hatred and racism and, and sort of cross burnings and hoods from, from the Klan, which is obviously kind of pissing off the Klan because those are all the reasons why I wanted to be in the Klan. Um, and so they started telling me all these similar conspiracy theories. And I just thought it was interesting that, that a radical Islamist group in, in London and a neo-Nazi group in um, Arkansas believed in these shadowy cabals that I'd never heard of. And then um, someone said to me, do you want to make a series about conspiracy theories? And I think they had this kind of idea of, you know, who killed Diana and who killed JFK. And I found all those things really boring. But what I was interested in was there was this kind of shared conspiracy theory that... Uh, that there was this, a shadowy cabal secretly ruling the world. And I, I remember I was in Brixton on a roof in Brixton, and I just had this brainwave. And it was like, of all these extremists all believe that there's a secret room, you know, the secret room would have to be somewhere. And, you know, maybe you could get in. And, and I sort of thought, wouldn't it be to do a kind of travel story where I hook up with these neo-Nazis and, and together we, we uh, track down the secret room and get in? So I thought that was like a really funny idea, and so that's what's fascinating. Yeah, it's very interesting. Now, so, and this happens twice in the in the series of your documentary, Secret Rulers of the World. Once with uh, Alex Jones uh, with the Bohemian Grove incident, and then once with Big yeah. Jim with Big Jim Tucker in Portugal. Now, yeah, that's did, right. Now, did it just so happen that you found these people who were going to be doing these infiltration gigs anyway? Um, Jim Tucker was anyway. Um, he was going to infiltrate Bilderberg anyway. And so I kind of hooked up with him and we got chased by uh, men in dark glasses through the back streets of Portugal. But with Alex, it was slightly different. Um, we were going to go to Bohemian Grove. And just at the last minute, I was sort of thinking, well, what are we going to do when we get there? You know, um, just going to sort of sit there. And so I phoned Alex and I'd met Alex um, at Waco, I'd, I'd, um, I'd, been, I'd been at Waco with Andy Weaver, you know, the guy who, whose family was killed up at Ruby Ridge. Hmm, right. um, we get to that, uh, sure, today. Yeah. Well, so we were together at Waco, and Alex Jones was there, and he seemed sort of quite kind of colourful and gung-ho and, and sort of funny. Um, and I suddenly had to thought, well, maybe we should invite Alex to, to Bohemian Grove, because something interesting is more likely to happen. So I did, I phoned Alex up and he immediately was going, yeah, I'm going to get into Bohemian, I have a great idea, I'm going to go into Bohemian Grove and I'm going to get a camera around up in those devil worshippers' faces and we're going to confront the evil Satanists. I was like, oh my God, you know, what have I started here? <laughs> so I almost disinvited him on the spot because I was thinking he was too crazy to go with. Um, <laughs> and I sort of said to him, you're not going to do anything dangerous, are you? And he said, of course not, you know, I'm not dangerous, they're dangerous, these evil elites are dangerous. And I thought, oh, bloody hell. <laughs> Four days in, four days in California you, with Alex. Right? Aren't you glad you didn't? Aren't you glad you didn't disinvite him now? I'm sure he's glad too at this point. So. Well, I've got to say, it's it, you know, if um, I often think, you know, what am I going to think on the deathbed? You know, what am I going to look back on with fondness? And and I think what I'm going to look back on most fondly, I hope this doesn't sound too um, self-satisfied, is is all the adventures I had, you know, and. Sneaking into Bohemian Grove with Alex Jones was definitely one of the the best adventures. And if you can if you can lie in your deathbed and think, well, I had a lot of amazing adventures, then I think you have to be kind of grateful. And yeah, sneaking into Bohemian Grove with Alex was definitely one of the best. I have really really fond memories of it. Well, one thing I was going to ask you actually was in, I read an interview with you fairly recently, and you said that. Um, You'd had a bit of a checkered past with David Icke. I was wondering what what that was about before. My checkered past. Oh, you said you had the kind of. Oh, you mean before? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Now, what was it? Um, when he announced he was the son of God, I remember what it was. Um, shortly after he announced he was the son of God, and then sort of got into conspiracies, but pre-lizard, uh, he he quoted me. I, I'd written this piece for Time Out magazine in London about my grandmother's funeral. And I wrote this piece about how, um, you know, I felt like all the religious, you know, symbolism and stuff of like a Jewish funeral was uh, was going over my head, and I didn't feel 
you know, akin to it at all. Um, so it's kind of a piece about how kind of young Jews don't don't feel that Jewish, more often than not. Mm. Uh, anyway, but David sort of quoted it kind of voluminously in his book, And the Truth Shall Set You Free. Um, and it was, it was nice of him to sort of quote it in such kind of glowing terms. And he was like really nice. He was talking about this kind of young Jewish journalist. And, you know, he's been really, really nice. Um, but, you know, and the truth shall set you free. There's that sort of anti-Semitic overtones. And, and so I wrote another piece um, kind of saying that I didn't feel great about being in David Icke's book, you know. And, and, um, and David Icke got really annoyed and felt betrayed by that. And, and uh, so then... You know, it was like really good stuff for me. And, mm-hmm. and then when I um, when I approached him again a few years later about them and Secret Rulers of the World, you know, he was a bit reluctant because of that. So that, that was the check and pass. Ah, right, okay. Um, yeah. One of the questions I was going to ask you, how did the subjects of the book themselves respond to it after its release and obviously like reviews and things like that? Uh, pretty good in, in general. Um, there, there was a few people in my follow-up book, The Many State Goats, who didn't like it much. But, but even they have sort of um, revised their, their feelings and kind of softened a bit. Um, you know, in general, most of the time, the people I write about like it. Or if they don't like it, they can they can see the good in it. You know, they can see that, you know, it's like, you know, the, you know, quite often I get kind of, you know, the worst criticism I get is, you know, I didn't like the way you portrayed me, but I can see that it was like a funny book and it was well researched. So, so you know, there's always a sort of compliment amidst the uh, the unhappiness. Um, but you know, most most of them like it. I think I know David Ike feels fondly towards me, and and so does Alex Jones. Um, I've got hear what what Jim Tucker thinks. I've never spoken to him. I'm sure the Weaver family are, which is you know, which makes me happy actually, because I always think that being a journalist is a, a bit better than a mother. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of very exploitative. And if you can do something that's completely true to the, to, to what you want to do and uncompromising, um, and, um, you know, if you can do all of that, hang on a second, I think I, I need, my dog is eating glass. Uh, I've been from dying. Uh, 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 right, okay, I've, I've got him inside now. Um, yeah, so if you can do that, and make your readers happy. You know, one of the best things that ever happened to me in this, in this respect was with Ian Paisley. You know, I, I, I followed Ian Paisley to Africa. Um, and uh, Woffy, no, he's trying to keep my... He's doing insane. <laughs> what type of dog is he? Ow! He's supposed to do that. That's what the puppy trainer said. Ow! <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't work at all. It's just, you see, it's attack more. Woffy, No. You see, well, I don't know what to do in a situation like that. You know, do you stay in the water? Ow! Do you distract me? Hang on, Wolfie. All right, have this. Look, look, look. Wolfie! Wolfie! Oh, yeah, look at that. Yay! Okay. <laughs> yeah, so Ian Paisley, um, you know, who's a kind of Protestant preacher, um, he went to, I, I followed him to Africa, um, so he was kind of preaching to the sinners, and he really loved it. And the people who hate Ian Paisley really loved it. And I just thought that's fantastic. You know, I've made, I've made everyone happy. <laughs> and so that's what I want to do. Even people whose views I really, really don't agree with, like Alex Jones and David Icke and pretty much everybody in them, with, with the possible exception of some of Randy Weaver's family. Or, well, you know, I like them very much. Um, even if I don't agree with them whatsoever, I like it when they like what I do because... I want to be humane and respectful towards people if I possibly can, whilst still being funny. Yeah, right. And, and I think it's a sign that you're probably giving them much fairer treatment than other people in the what they would call mainstream media normally do. So just, to, I think for them just to have their stories told in from what them seems a pretty straight manner um, is probably it's probably such a breath of fresh air for them. The dog just bit my phone away from my ear, so I missed the last bit of that compliment. Wolfie, no! I just... I wish we'd never had him. He's <laughs> <laughs> it, just like, you know, it's just an added responsibility in your life. <laughs> and I'm 40 when I've got fear responsibility. Is that the difference between a PS3 and a Wii, right? I mean, why, why do you want all those extra buttons? I, I don't get it. Why not have just like one button? <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, go on. 
So, um, you know, for the last few minutes we've talked about um, the three sort of conspiracy theorists, authors uh, that that ended up, or filmmakers that ended up in your documentary and your book. Them. Let's talk about the two stories that didn't necessarily have a um, an artist connected to them: the the Ruby Ridge and the Oklahoma City story. Now, I've, yeah. um, I was especially interested by the Oklahoma City work that you did, which I'm guessing most a lot of was based on J.D. Cash's work. Yeah, um, although I've got to say, of all the big stories that I've done, that's the one that I sort of feel hardest to talk about, because in reality, my producer, John Sargent, did, did at least half the work on that, on that particular story, because I was editing um, I was editing the rest of the films, and so, so it was John who had like a big relationship with J.D. Cash, um, and it was J.D. Cash, definitely, who sort of... Uh, inspired us. So after that caveat, you know, I was really interested in that story because I was really interested in the sort of denied link between Timothy McVeigh and uh, Elohim City, you know, the compound up in, up in uh, Oklahoma, um, and the sort of neo-Nazi compound and how there'd been lots of kind of different bits of evidence that suggested that McVeigh had a big relationship with that place, but it was denied by everybody. Then you discover that there were like you know, undercover agents and undercover informants at that place. John practically directed that film himself, I've got to say. Um, I, I was worried about that film, you know. I thought it was like, I remember like when, um, I, I didn't put it in them, I didn't put it in the book, but I thought Secret Rulers of the World was like uh, perfect as <laughs> a series. I thought it was like a work of like perfectness. Um, and then in the middle of it, we had the film about Timothy McVeigh, which I was really uneasy about. I, I wasn't happy with it at all. And and for quite a long time, I, I sort of felt like I should disown that film. And um, uh, But then I watched it again a couple of years later. I thought, it's not that bad. So, so, so now I sort of think it was just another example of me getting myself all worked up about nothing, which I spent half my life doing. Um, <laughs> but, um, I, but nonetheless, it doesn't have... Ow! Ow! Woofy, no! <laughs> Sorry about this. I apologise to your, to your, to your uh, podcast people, but if you knew what Woofy was doing, you'd, you'd scream out too. <laughs> is he biting words. you? He's biting the hell out of me. Oh, God. He's, going, he's going crazy. And, I'm, and I, hope, I hope he's all right. What kind of dog is he? He's a miniature schnauzer. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Come here, Woofy. Come here. Give us a cuddle. Kiss him. Kiss him. Kiss him. This is what the potty trainer says we should do. Kisses, Waffles. Kisses. <laughs> there you go. Everything's all right now. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, yeah. But no, I about Alien City. I mean, it is interesting. I mean, the conspiracy theories about the Oklahoma City bombing are definitely more uh, plausible than any other conspiracy theory that I've come across. Yeah. You know, so I don't believe the, the 9-11 theories, you know, and... And, you know, I know that Bilderberg and the Human Grove exists and all of that stuff, but I don't um, believe that we have the sort of, you know, sort of pure-hearted evil that, you know, many people think that they do and so on. But I do think there's a possibility that there's more to the Oklahoma City bombing than the I really do think that. You know, I think, I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't go as far as to say that I think that, um, um, that I think that, you know, the government let it happen or anything like that, or, uh, or, you know, did it, you know, nothing like that. But I do think if you look at the evidence of Oklahoma City, or you look at the theories anyway, you can see that there's a possibility that certain people within the federal government knew it was going to happen and somehow fucked it up, fucked up stopping it. You know, I think that's plausible, that they that they, um, they failed to prevent it from happening. Um, through mistake rather than conspiracy. Yeah. Now, did you expect that going into that story? Did you... We, you weren't expecting to find a actual plausible conspiracy theory in the course of the making of your series, were you? No, that's true. I wasn't, and and um, it was all. Yeah, well, I, I definitely wasn't, and I don't know. I mean, I think one of the reasons why I'm a little unsure about this particular film is because I don't know. You know, I think with Bilderberg and Bohemian Grove and Ruby Ridge and. Uh, uh, David Icke, which are the other four films in the series, you know, 
I think we we got we really got to a kind of resolution. We knew what our films were about, and we knew what what we wanted the viewers to get out of them. You know, we knew that what happened to the Weaver family was was utterly wrong. You know, and so on. And um, but with McVeigh, with the Oklahoma City story, you know, in the end, it's not good enough to say it might be a conspiracy. You know, as a, as a sort of author, it's not it's not kind of good enough. Which I think is the reason why I was always a little unsure. Was that part of the reason why you didn't cover Waco as a subject uh, for a film as well? No, the reason I didn't cover Waco was because I felt the documentary, The Rules of Engagement, was, was so good um, that I didn't, I, I, I didn't think I could add anything. That happens to be quite often, you know, when I'm, when I'm thinking about doing this story. If I see that somebody else has done it really well. I, I tend to not do it. That's what happened with Waco. Although I did do it a bit, I mean, because I visited Waco, I visited the place in Andy Weaver. So I wonder if Mr. Dog wants some food, and that's why he's going crazy. I haven't said anything about this issue over the last few minutes, but he's going absolutely insane, and that is all right. Yeah. If I suddenly hang up the phone, it'll be because I'm worried that he's actually not well. Yeah, that's fine. But, do you think he's eaten something, perhaps? That, uh... That's what I'm slight. I've got to say, I'm, I'm a little worried about it because he is going a bit crazy. He is wagging his tail, though. Yeah, that's usually that's good. That's usually a good sign. <laughs> he, he looked like he was chewing. He did look like he was chewing something like a little pebble or something that that, that could possibly have been that could possibly have been glass. Hmm. How would you know if a puppy's eating glass? I suppose. Other than the fact that he's going he'd, crazy, he'd probably be in pretty horrible pain. Right now, you mean like kind of on the floor, kind of whining? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I would, I would think. <laughs> anyway, sorry, go on. I'm digressing. This is probably not interesting to. <laughs> so I, I, I think we've pretty much covered Secret Rulers. Um, oh, didn't you want to ask about Ruby Ridge a little bit more? Oh, oh, right. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it was more of just a story that sort of got you started on this, right? Yeah, it really was. It was a big moment for me, actually, Ruby Ridge. I think. Um, I've made a couple of films recently, a film called Resident Death about assisted suicide and, and one or two others that I'm really proud of. But I think, in some ways, the, the, the film that I've done that I'm most proud of is the Ruby Ridge one. Um, and it's, it, you know, it's certainly my favourite of Secret Rulers, personally. I know it's not other people's, but it's definitely mine. Um, because it was just, it was kind of, you know, you, it just sort of shakes up the whole way you look at the world, I think, doing a story like that, and hopefully watching a story like that. And you can see it. I know it's there on the internet. Um, in fact, I've got a MySpace page which I never do anything with. It's just MySpace slash John Jensen. There's no H and John. And I know that the Ruby Ridge one, or the Ruby Ridge one, because I put it there. Um, but, yeah, I was... What happened was I got this box of tapes. I was thinking about doing something about the kind of white, white separatist movement. And I... And a guy I knew in LA had collected a whole load of um, underground videos about, you know, conspiracies and white supremacy and white separatism and so on. And and I started watching them all one day. And and in the middle of them, I found this amateur footage of this thing, and it just it was just completely mesmerising. And it was um, it was a bunch of people down at a roadblock in Idaho, and a guy comes down the hill. He looks like a sort of military guy. And it's late at night, and these these people down at the roadblock are um, are uh, um, surrounded by federal agents. And these people come down from the hill and say, "You know, I've got some bad news. Um, Vicky this is, is dead." This is Bo Grites. It's Bo Grites. Yeah, but I didn't know that at all. I, I I didn't know what I was watching, and all these people started crying and. Somebody starts yelling at the federal agents, and it was just the most mesmerizing amateur footage I'd ever seen in my life. And you know, to this day, we never managed to track down. I use it in the film, um, and we never managed to track down who who shot it. Um, we, we spent ages trying to find because instead of giving them some money, you know, or, or you know, asked for permission, and we spent ages looking, and we just could never find out who it was. Um, and I probably never will. It was, it was, you know, a member of the militia movement, and it was just mesmerising. And, and you know, so to make a film in which a family of people who you would oppose on every level because they were like, you know, they believed in these kind of crazy white separatist things, 
um, to, you know, to realize that they are the heroes of a, of a situation and the people on our side of the fence, you know, the media, the government, the military, you know, were completely out of control and went totally crazy. Um, you know, it was, was extraordinary to me. It just, it just completely shook up the rest of the world. Um, and, I, and it was also sort of ironically such a sad story because you know, it's a story about how the, how the central government killed um, a woman who was holding a baby, a woman called Vicky Weaver, and a little boy called Sammy Weaver. You know how they killed them through a series of like you know, you know, ridiculous decisions. Um, for all of that, it was incredibly good fun film to make because I got on really well with Rachel Weaver, who was one of the surviving daughters. It's lovely, you know, at the time she was about 18 and she must be in her late 20s now um, and we had a fantastic time in Idaho which is you know one of my favourite parts of America and, and uh, you know so it was incredibly enjoyable film to make Excuse me, I've got some information I'd like to share with you. Did you know that 26 billion pickles are packed each year in the U.S.? That's about 9 pounds of pickles per person. More than half the cucumbers grown in the U.S. are made into pickles. Hey, pickle boy, let's talk pickles. The Podcast Pickle, that is. The Podcast Pickle is your resource for all the latest and greatest podcasts found in cyberspace with thousands of podcasts listed and more added every day. Here's some of the podcasts that you'll find at podcastpickle.com. <laughs> Geek Foo Action Grip. Beachcast. Comic Geek Speak. Speechless. Mad King. This Week in Tech. Warren Town Talk. NASCAR Zone. Shelly the Republican. Voice from Eden. Jimmy McBean. Five Minutes with Wichita. Cinema Playground. Offbeat. The Logo Factory. The Exit 50. This and That with Jeff and Pat. Thoughts on Psychiatry. Web Hosting Show. Merlin from Berlin. Random Cast. Jazz with Tiger. American Road Trip Show. The Drew M Podcast. The Slam Isle Podcast. Forgotten Tales. Zencast. XboxStation.net. How to Do Stuff. <laughs> Now, Pickle has a whole new meaning. PodcastPickle.com, the world's best podcast directory. X.
forward to the unknown. Listener feedback. Really looking forward to the new episodes. So keep up with your work, guys. Thanks. Interviews. There's so many movies, so many documentaries, even books that come out that have factual information in it that maybe, you know, this is a gradual way of, of kind of educating the public to as to what's going on. Visit Erie Radio at www.erieradio.com. Would you say that uh, Secret Rulers has had sort of a, a second wave of popularity once it hit YouTube? Have you noticed this? Or Yeah, definitely. The uh, David Icke film, uh, in particular, seems to have a huge amount of, um, a huge amount of coverage. I mean, um, I don't think they don't do um, statistics anymore, do they? But they used to, yeah. where, they, where you know how many people have watched it. Oh, no, you still can. And, Oh, can you still do that? Well, I remember, I mean, it was like, um, I think what happened was that they took it down and then put it back up again. But at one point, I remember looking and it was, you know, it was like a million people or something had watched it. Yeah. You know, um, which was amazing. And then again, it's, that's, um, that's only a third of the number of people who watched um, that woman working out to the uh, to wee set in her underwear. So it's not that good. <laughs> That's had about four million people now. Um, so, so I don't know how much it wasn't as good as that. But um, yeah, definitely had a second wave. And you know, I mean, the reason why I wanted to write books, I've got to say, you know, for me, the book then and and the books and the books are kind of more important to me than, than the films. I always saw the films as being like um, like a way of making the books work, both logistically, you know, because you know when you're writing a book, you're on your own, and when you're making a film, you've got people helping. So. You know, I always saw the films as being um, um, ways to help the books. So, but, you know, the thing about books is that they, you know, they're, they're for life, you know, they're like having children, you know, which is why I always wanted to do them. They can um, they, they can live on forever, you know. Like for me, every time somebody buys a, a copy of them, even though it's now about seven years old, um, it's like it's not dead, it's like it's alive again. Yeah. And you don't get that with, with newspaper articles or, you know, magazines and stuff. So, um, so like you get lots of little second waves. For instance, there's many anecdotes, there was some stuff in the papers recently, stuff on the internet recently that it might be getting to um, with George Clooney. And I think a whole load of Clooney fans then bought the book, it kind of shot back at the Amazon charts. And, and, you know, I mean, that's about, you know, I sort of love that about books. I love the fact that they're permanent, you know, that they're, they can, they can, they can live as long as you live. Yeah. You know, they can get second waves when you least expect them. I love that. Did you expect the, to have a, the longevity it's had? Uh, yeah, to tell you the truth, if, if um, uh, putting aside any sort of uh, false modesty, <laughs> um, I thought then was like one of the greatest books ever written by anyone, <laughs> and I wanted it to sell as, you know, as many copies as the Bible. You know, so actually, anything is, is a disappointment compared to that. <laughs> like, uh, you know, I still don't know why I haven't sold 20 million copies. Um, you know, that, that was my ambition for them. <laughs> and that never happened. Well, maybe, um, with, maybe with YouTube uh, making it more and more popular again, you will hit that figure. <laughs> it could have. And, and, you know, Ghost has got a good chance of survival. Now, now um, you know, it's probably going to be a movie. Oh, yeah. Um, so, uh, well, you know, we think so, and, you know, that, you never know, until you know. Yeah. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, so the answer to your question is yes, I really, uh, really liked them, and really thought it would do well, and I was really glad when it did, and then disappointed that it didn't do even better. Yeah. One so, question... But it did do really well, because it sold like a couple of hundred thousand copies, I That's think. really good, yeah, definitely. Um, one thing I was going to ask you was, I... I've... I'm, I'm a fan. I've listened to most of your stuff, and uh, you know, like listen to the radio shows, the books, and everything. But there's one clip on YouTube that I just didn't recognise, and it's of you and David Shaler talking. And oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that from? I've never actually, uh, you know, I've... it was a radio show I made called. Um, what was it called? Uh, I did a radio series called John Johnson and one. Programs was called 
uh, in America, it, was, it went out as, as, as being called the Spokesman, but it had a different name in, in Britain. Um, uh, have a look on your but, website. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it will be there. Um, I've forgotten. But anyway, what it was was basically it was about it was a program not about David Shaler, but about this woman called Rachel North, um, who um, who survived the bomb the, the July seventh bomb attack. She was in the carriage with one of the bombers and became a sort of bit of a spokesperson for the survivors, you know, in quite an you know, very innocent way. Mm. And then one day looked herself up on the internet and discovered that all these conspiracies were kind of fear that she didn't exist. And that's as agents. And so she emailed them to sort of, you know, tell them that she did exist. And uh, and, you know, then the even more that she didn't exist. And the more she tried to convince them that she did, the more they believed that she didn't. And then eventually she kind of got completely furious with them, you know, saying it's really not nice to to be told that you don't exist, you know, especially after you've just been blown up on the tube. Yeah. And um, um, so I made a program about that, about kind of Rachel's, um, Rachel's journey into the world of the truth campaign. And, um, and as part of that, I, I interviewed David and we got really annoyed with each other and, and he said saying, you know, if um, if you think four Muslims are responsible for the July seventh bomb attacks in London, you're a racist, John, you're racist against Muslims and I said, Oh fuck off and um, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, good and um yeah, and that's the clip. Um and a couple of weeks after that, uh David Schiller announced uh, that he was the Messiah. Yeah, um, I was going to ask you what you thought about that, actually. It's like... Well, well, you know what? I've made another radio show called The Right Sort of Mental Illness, which um, is looking or trying to look at um, what happened in those few weeks between my, my, you know, my sort of fallout with David Shaler on the radio and his announcement that he was going to actually try to, try to do something on that. So yeah. I want to talk it out now. I'll be on the for in at the end of August and September. I mean, have you seen him since um, since he declared himself? Yeah, I did. I went to one of his press conferences outside Parliament um, and spoke to him. And uh, um, I mean, we got on a lot better this time, I should say. <laughs> um, but um, it was... Um, I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's really interesting. I mean, in some ways, it's kind of weird that he looks better than he than he's ever done. You know, he's, he's, he looks really slim and, you know, good looking and seems really happy. But, and, but on the other side, you can see that his head's kind of in, in some kind of turmoil. He's talking really, really fast, um, trying to get it all out, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I don't think there's any connection with David Icar. I think it's just coincidence that they both think that. One thing I was going to ask you, uh, going back to that YouTube video again, the one with David Shader, you said that people were starting to call you a shill. Could you explain that? <laughs> yeah, well, I had a big falling out, you know, a big fight with the 9-11 truth movement because, you know, for some, I sort of lost my sense of humour about it, I've got to say, when it, came to, when it comes to 9-11, you know, partly because they, they're so sort of fundamentalist, you know, all of them, and even like the fact that I was telling what I would say to myself, I really will try and not do that, but, you know, there's a sort of hardcore of 9-11 truthers who, in my mind, are no different to, you know, religious fundamentalists. You know, they believe in something that I believe is not true, and they believe in it with a sort of patronising and unpleasant and insulting fervour. And it just really got my back up. And, I, and you know, I, I, I saw this discussion on the internet that was called John Ronson Shill or Stupid. <laughs> so I um so I sort of got involved a bit like Rachel North did actually and, and um first time I ever heard Rachel North's name in fact was somebody calling me another Rachel North. Oh. Like i.e. I, I didn't exist, I was a teacher agent <laughs> sent, you know, sent to sort of spread disinformation about you know, that what happened on nine eleven. And um yeah, so we just have this fight. I mean a chill obviously is somebody who who, who takes the shilling, you know, um takes the money to spread lies. Yeah. Um, but what, you know, what really bugs me um, is the sort of rudeness of, of when they come up against people who don't share their views. You know, they're just unbelievably impolite, which I put, personally put down to, 
what happens when you spend too long on your own in a room on the internet and you lose all your initial graces. Um, Has that kept you from covering the 9-11 truth movement in much the same way you cover um, conspiracy theorists? And- yeah, yeah, partly, because you want to, you know, whenever I, whenever I uh, set off on one of these stories, I really want to like the people that I'm, you know, that I'm filming. I really want to find them interesting and like them. And um, because without that, you know, you've just got, it's just not pleasant for anyone, you know, it's not pleasant for the viewer or the reader or anything. And um, and, and you want to find some humor and warmth in the situation. And, and I just can't find any of that with, with the man and the truthers. You know, I don't like the ones I've come in contact with. They don't like me. Um, um, and I don't think there's any truth in it at all. So I'd be going into the situation with a really kind of negative outlook. Um, and I can't find any humor or warmth. I think they're just really horrible. And I don't like the way they've, they've hijacked, you know. I mean, it was <laughs> no a really... <laughs> I don't even know if I said that. Yeah. But I'm sort of, yeah, thinking back on 9-11, the events of 9-11, you know, they were unbelievably awful. It was like the most awful, traumatizing thing to happen to, to, to the world, you know. Decades. And, you know, some of the truth, I mean, not all of them, you know, but some of them think of 9-11 as just something to score points, you know, it's just something something to toss around, you know, for, for, for you know, what they see as invested journalism, but in fact, it's like a sort of bubble of delusion, you know, they don't care, you know, they've lost their humanity, and, and I, you know, and it just really, it really annoys me, it really does, you know, it seems very, you know, I know that at the beginning of this change, the dedication to lost their lives in 9-11, but then they start going on about how, you know, the wives of, you know, some of the people who died were probably in on, on it too, you know, it's just yeah. so, so disrespectful. Me and Raymond were actually talking about this, I think there's this, um, this kind of thing when you first kind of encounter a conspiracy theory and you, I think you went through the same thing in your book you said uh, well, you were talking to a friend and he wrote you're one of them but you <clears throat> you get hit with this kind of uh, revelation kind of thing and I think some people kind of stay in that zone and they become just incredibly paranoid about everything it's really bizarre <laughs> yeah and, and, and also you know fundamentalists kind of um, anyone who doesn't believe what they believe is like an enemy you know which is what Bush would say too yeah if, if you're not with us you're with the terrorists. Yeah, you're, with, you're the terrorists, and the truth is, will say, if you're not with us, you're with, you know, she was pushed, you know, you know, which is like, just such a kind of ludicrous, um, you know, sort of re- reworking of, of, of the kind of narrative of 9-11. Mm. Yeah, and, you know, I tell you, John, I, um, I, I read you loud and clear on what you're saying about the 9-11 truth movement you know because it's it's very hard like and and i personally have gone through that emotional roller coaster where you sort of come to this point where you're almost it's it's like being asked to join a church almost no no one's personally asking you to do it but all of these films are crying out with the same editorial message you know yeah yeah you know and if you take them all in at once it can really it can overcome you in the same way say a big tent revival can. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I suppose there's a few things I'd, I'd say about that. It's, it's firstly, you know, it's it, obviously the ones you're going to listen to most of all are the ones who shout the loudest. So, you know, it isn't fair, you know, and I'm sure you know this too, you know, it, it isn't fair to taint, you know, everyone in the truth campaign with the, with the kind of maddest, loud, rusest ones. But it's kind of human nature to do that a bit, you know. For instance, when I was on the British truth campaign booth thing, you know, I just saw a kind of barrage of insults against me. And, and so I got kind of really annoyed with a lot of them. But then when you look back on it, you realize that most of the barrage of insults is coming from like one one or two people. You know, literally, it's like called Mason Free Party and so on. And, you know, so, so you know, I think I was guilty of thinking they were all as bad as him. Do you know what I mean? So, so you know, and, and also the other thing I want to say is that, you know, I am, uh, you know, totally supportive um, of sort of independent journalism and independent thought and, and, you know, people searching for the truth themselves and people not trusting the media, you know, and, and you know, that is, and I'm, I'm totally in of this stuff. I mean, you know, most, most, I think most of 
Mr. Thurston has come from that position. Um, the thing that bugs me about the 9-11 truth is, is, is the fact that I really believe it's not true. You know, I really, truly believe that 9 is not an inside It's frustrating to see how you've got a lot of people who are good people, um, who are independent thinkers, who have a healthy, you know, distrust of mainstream. You know, I personally can is, you know, wasting their time getting themselves worked up about something that uh, isn't true when they when they get themselves worked up about things that are true. Um, yeah, but you know, I realise it's a really unpopular thing to to say. <laughs> in some ways, I wish I didn't say it. You know. But... Well, no, no, it's it's understandable. You know what I'm saying? I mean. You know that by saying that you you alienate some people, but at the same time you can't lie. You can't. You know what I'm saying? Like you have to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, exactly. Um, um, so there, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And I think there are. I think you're right. There are people that are level-headed enough to not take take the bait of of screaming at someone that doesn't necessarily agree with them. But yeah, you're mm. right. Most most of the most hardcore people in the movement, by the way, all of them seem to believe that the government blew up the World Trade Center, not that they just allowed it to be struck. Right. Um, I think, and and I think that's what it comes down to. Really, is it's the people that have made that particular decision that they're my hoppers or whatever. Right. Uh, it's like there's no. It's almost like there's no turning back after that. I I um, have just finished like a production on a podcast myself and it was all about conspiracy theories and the occult and all this stuff. Uh-huh. And we covered we covered 9/11 truth in three different shows. And the first yeah. show we did, um it was just like you were talking about. I came across completely glassy-eyed and was constantly saying, "Oh, it's so obvious. Oh, it's so obvious." And covering these actual conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. And I turned around a few weeks later and I'm like, "Man, what what was I doing there?" You yeah. know, but it, you know, but at the same time, we we then turned around and did two more episodes where we covered the truthers themselves, and not their theories. And that was when we found that we had some interesting stories. You know. Okay, that's um, interesting. Where can I hear those? Are they on? Are they on the website? Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll, I'll let you know uh, after we get done with the interview. Um, some links and stuff. I'm not oh, trying cool. to like, throw out a plug for my show in the middle it's, of this. Yeah, no, it's a good show. Uh, no, but you know that I'm really interested. I mean, it's, these are I'm like, really, really interested in. Um, but, yeah. I mean, obviously, the obvious thing to think about was, um, and, you know, I'm far from the first person to accept this, is, is, you know, I think if you're thinking about being a 9-11 truther, what you should do is, is, is think to yourself, okay, I mean, I, you know, this isn't an original thought, you know, but you think to yourself, okay, no one was an inside job. This conspiracy is true. How how did they do it? You know, how did they pull it off? And that's when the whole thing falls apart. Because, for instance, you have to accept you have to accept that not only um, yeah, you have to accept that they planted bombs in the twin towers and then decided, well, we're going to fly a plane into it anyway. You know, why not just blow up the bombs and say Al Qaeda did that? Why could we have it? Like, like, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like, and there are a lot of things like that. You know, what what the um, flight ninety three really landed in Cleveland, and they really took okay, it off the plane and shot them in, in 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 the lounge. You know, what? Who shot them? What? The U.S. Marshals? You know, you have to sort of, you know, and you know, it's like that. That should be enough for any for any sensible person. I yeah. think. Yeah, <laughs> it's. Uh, I think a lot. Of the, I think the the most far fetched one. I think I uh, kind of nine eleven link I saw was that um that they'd watched an episode of a show called The Lone Gunman and actually our last guest, uh, Dean Hag- Dean Hagland, who <laughs> um was a star of The Lone Gunman and he was in the X Files as well. Um, but he was just saying he couldn't believe that people actually thought that. You know, people actually thought that the government was had sat down, watched an episode of a TV show. In, in this in this episode of the TV show, they uh, it actually has a, a spookily similar event. It's basically what happens is that um, the, yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. They just looked at it and thought, oh, you know, <laughs> right. And and for what? I mean, that's the other thing. It's like for what for what purpose? Um, no, none of them have come up with a sort of, hey, whoopee! None of them have come up with a, with a plausible motive, you know? I mean, or, or most of it, you know, what, you do all of that 
to increase shares in Halliburton, or or you do all of that to, um, you know, implement the Patriot Act, which hasn't been that hasn't been that fucking successful anyway. You know, what I mean, a couple of people arrested for getting out of the wrong library book. Just, I mean, I mean, it's a big little fast You know, <laughs> there was a rack too. Um, but, um, Don't forget that one. <laughs> yeah, no, that's yeah, people, people make it yeah. Okay, that wasn't the best argument to my part, but the others were very good. <laughs> so, you know, and people make the same argument about uh, the beginning of the Second World War, or or for us, for the for the U.S. anyway, with Pearl Harbor. You know, they say that, oh, you know, Roosevelt just let the Japanese attack a giant fleet of super expensive ships, and I just don't buy that at all. Nobody's just going to hand over a battleship. Uh, right. to the enemy, and they know they're going to attack. I mean, those things costed a percentage of your country's G G and P. You know, at one point they were so expensive. And right. I was trying to explain that to somebody on the internet that was chatting with me the other night. I was like, "Look, if you know, if you want to get into a war with the Japanese, all you have to do is wait for them to invade the Philippines two weeks later and move your ships away uh, out of yeah. the harbor, so so they can't be bombed." You know, right. there's going to be a war no matter what. So to say that we sacrificed our ships or that we sacrificed the World Trade Center, there's yeah, not the, there's not this shining motive that comes out. You know, that could not be the You know what? If they wanted to blow, if they wanted to invade Iraq, they would not. I mean, you know, I'm no expert like, on this particular, on you know, this, on on neocon logic. But my guess would be, if they really want to blow up, if they really want to invade Iraq. They did not need an 9-11 to do it. You know, they could have come up with another reason. Yeah. Well, yeah. for your success with them and uh, uh, goats, would you like to return to um, to the subject again? Maybe a kind of what they're doing now, kind of uh, kind of uh, series. Or... I don't think I don't think I'd kind of go back to the same people, but mm. I'd certainly go back to the same broad areas if I could find a subject that that sort of you know interested me in that. Um, and I'm always on the lookout, you know, always for stories that just sort of hook you, you know, fall and get yourself fall in love with. And I've got a few ideas along those lines. They're sort of connected. Mm. Um, well, connected in the way that, you know, go connected to them. I mean, they're t- two totally different books, but but you sort of feel like they're by the same person. And, and um, um, you know, I've got some more ideas along those lines. Oh, okay. So well, thanks. But listen, I, I think I've got to go. Yeah, no, that's fine. Thanks a lot for doing this, man. We're really big fans and we really appreciate you coming on and everything. That was really good of you. Oh, cool, though. It's my pleasure. And thank you for want, wanting to have me. All right, and we're back. Uh, so, what do you think of the interview then, uh, Raymond? Well, first off, I hope Wolfie's okay. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I hope I hope he nothing happened. And uh, but other than that, I was delighted, mm. uh, delighted absolutely. This was a person that I had wanted to talk to for a long time, Ken, and I can't thank you enough for having me on as a guest host today. Oh no, that's no problem at all. I knew you were into him, so it was the obvious choice, really. <laughs> to be honest. So yeah, no, I've, I, I, he's definitely a good interview. I mean, um, you can tell he's done a lot of interviews before, and he's really good at anecdotes. You know, kind of anecdotal kind of conversation. It was really. I don't know, he's just a fun guy to talk to, I thought. Right, and, and you know, I think what's good about him is that he's not a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. But he can, te- but he can teach you a lot about conspiracy theorists, you know what I'm saying? So he's not trying to prove a point. You know, he hasn't got some agenda that he's trying to, to, to pawn off on you. He just wants you to be interested and entertained by the things that he creates. Yeah. And uh, I, I can really respect that. Yeah, definitely. So. And I but anyway... Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I didn't know that uh, Alex Jones didn't instigate the uh, the uh, what do you call it Bohemian Grove incident. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you never know. You never know. And I was I was pleasantly surprised to find that out as well. And mm. um, you know, and that's the thing. It's like even though John has tried to stay on the outside of it, even the work he has done has inevitably influenced this subculture that we're looking at in crazy ways i mean think about it alex jones is the biggest name in this subculture right now period he can make you know hundred thousand dollar documentary films every year you know he's got millions of listeners to his or hundreds of thousands of listeners at least to his webcast his radio show and um because of this because of mr ronson here he really 
that real an event happened that really made his career take off. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And I think with the David Icke thing, I think David Icke probably owes him a debt of gratitude too because he has, in a lot of ways, helped deflect these rumors that Mr. Icke is an anti-Semite. Which I mean, I don't believe any more than John Ronson believes. I no. don't think so. Yeah. Um, so I think it was really good. I'm not sure if we're the first. Uh, I've never read that actually that. Um, Alex Jones didn't instigate the uh, Bohemian Grove thing. That's kind of interesting. Maybe we've got a uh, John Ronson exclusive. <laughs> perhaps, you know, I mean, or perhaps no one has just ever been dorky enough to think about. <laughs> We're Ronson <laughs> geeks. <laughs> Apparently. So, but, you know, I hope you guys enjoyed the interview. I certainly did. Yeah. Um, and so what's, what's coming up in the coming weeks on right where you're sitting now, Ken? Well, I'm hoping... As you know yourself, Raymond, these interview schedules don't necessarily stay as uh, solid as they could do. Um, I'm hoping that the next episode will be an interview with a guy called David V. Barrett. He's a guy I know in real life, and he's written several books, I think 20 maybe books, on uh, secret societies. And we're going to be talking to him about Masons and uh, secret societies, basically. And I think that's going to be a really interesting episode. Um, Well, so we've got Douglas Rushkoff on the horizon. That's going to be really good. and uh, we've got a few others that I don't want to mention quite yet because, uh, again, you'll probably know this Raven that interview. Big interviews tend to move around quite a bit, so I don't really want to mention them until we've definitely got them. But we've got two oh, no, very I... big guests coming, <laughs> so that's going to be really. But cool. let's just let's just hope it all comes through. If, if don't worry, man. I know how guests can fall through, and, and if, you know anybody's listening to my show out there radio, they'll know that too. Because if you listen to the course of the podcast, you'll hear us like. Announced that we're going to have Dr. Nicholas Goodrick Clark on, and we're going to have Daniel Hopsicker on, and all that's just me speaking too soon. So you're you're very smart. <laughs> yeah. No, Not it's there's nothing worse than promising something and then you can't deliver on it. It's, it's just kind of embarrassing <laughs> for me, anyway. But yeah, no, I mean, so yeah, I think the show's been going kind of. We've been getting some serious downloads. I mean, the Dean Haglin episode was huge. We had loads of people downloading that episode, and. Uh, that seems to have had this kind of weird chain reaction where people have obviously liked that episode and gone back and downloaded a ton of the old episodes as well. So it's really cool. Well, that, that's good to hear. Now, if they like the show, see, downloading it's one thing. Listening to it and really liking it's another. They need to give you an email. They need to, they need to drop you a line, don't they, Ken? Yeah, nicely plugged there, nicely plugged. Yeah, <laughs> that's ken at sittingnow.co.uk or sign up at the forums. Hint, hint. <laughs> and, um, talk to us unless, you're an internet, unless you're an internet robot. Yeah. And then don't sign up for forums, please. Yeah, we have uh, measures to deal with them. In fact, when we first put up, when we first put the forum up, my God, the amount of spam robots we got straight away, instantly, within hours of putting the forum up, we had like 20. It's ridiculous. So these things work well, but we've got measures to stop them. <laughs> at the oh, moment, really? Anyway. Yeah. Your staff's working on it, I see. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, okay. Yeah, so I mean, uh, check us out on the web, obviously, at sittingnow.co.uk. Um, or you can, and uh, ah, yeah, this is another thing. We have uh, redirects all over the place now. So if you type in sittingnow.com, that will now take you to our website. And I think sittingnow.net as well will take you there. And rightnowuk.net will also take you there. Also, if you accidentally email me at kennetsittingnow.com, it will come through to my .co.uk address. So that's quite cool. So yeah, there's no excuse. I mean, you know, it's really easy to get through to us, <laughs> basically. <laughs> we won't forgive you if you don't email. Yeah. So, uh... <laughs> so well great ken I, I like i said it's a pleasure being on the show today and uh, and uh, being allowed to you know ask this person who i would say is a personal hero of mine uh, a couple of questions yeah no it was uh it was great i was you know it's one of the when i first thought about making the show in the absence of out there radio or that um, <laughs> one of the first guests that sprang to mind in fact probably the first guest that sprang to mind was john ronson so it was great to finally uh finally get him on the show even if it was episode 11 <laughs> but uh yeah no it's great so uh thanks a lot and uh thanks a lot again raymond and uh we'll see you guys next week